Good to hear you sing and to hear the music this morning. I was walking through the store the other day listening to music in the background thinking, what a bunch of garbage. And so I was kind of lip-syncing up here listening, and it is good to hear the Lord's words sung together. We are going to be turning in, Gen- in God's Word to Genesis chapter 2 this morning. We've just sung, All you who fear Him and adore, the Lord increase you more and more, both great and small, who Him confess. You and your children He will bless. There's that covenant aspect. And then, Yea, blessed are you by Him who made the heavens and earth's foundations laid. The Lord made the world. The heavens are God since time began, but He has given the earth to man. To look at that this morning, what that means that the Lord has given the earth to man. And we see that God placed the man, the woman, in a garden with a particular call. This morning we look at that placement and the call that was given. Read from Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 15 this morning. This is the Word of God. And the Lord God placed, or planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. Then the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. This is the Word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the Word of God is for our instruction and endures forever. Beloved, I want to consider with you God's Word to man and woman to subdue the earth this morning. As we've said already in the book of Genesis, God has a way of of stating very complex things in very simple language that even children can understand. Genesis 1.28 says this, "And And God said to the man and the woman, Be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Simple enough statement. Subdue the earth. Very simple. But there is such profundity behind that. What is all entailed in subduing? Put in the garden to, as verse 15 of chapter 2 says, to work it and keep it. So now there's a bit more of a, of a fleshing out of what that means, to work in the garden, to, to guard the garden, as a, to protect it, to give direction. God placed vast resources in his creation, particularly in the garden. It's hinted at here uh, in verses 11 and 12. There's gold in the land of Havilah. Uh, the, the gold in that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. There's resources that God has placed in creation. Sometimes just read right over that and say, well, yeah, that's interesting. Kind of a descriptor of what the garden was like, what it was about. 
But there's, but there's something in there that I want us to see this morning as we're talking about foundations. God calls us, God's created us, male and female, and God now gives us a, a task to work and to keep, to subdue. And he gave plants to them as well. The end of chapter, or the middle of chapter one, that the man and the woman were to cultivate for food. From these details, we deduce that God's plan was for the man and the woman to discover and to develop a civilization which would further accentuate his glory. As we uncover, as we discover, we see the glory. We, 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 we see God's majestic glory. In the springtime, we see that in the, the blooming of the flowers. We were noticing some poppies on the way to church this morning. Just beautiful, all of the creativity that God has uh, placed in his, uh, in, in his creation. The history of humanity is a history of discovery and development of the earth from this general call to subdue the earth and have dominion. Our history moves from a very basic understanding to a more developed understanding. I was thinking about the periodic table of the elements uh, this week and thinking about uh, all that we've learned about. the. I think there's 118 elements. It seems like they keep adding more. When I was uh, younger, it was, I think, less than that. But all the gases, all the metals, all of the, the, the resources that we've, we've identified that we use uh, in our subduing of the earth, God's goodness in his creation is seen uh, in this, these vast resources. Obviously, his greatest revelation is his self-revelation, explaining who he is to us and how we are to relate to him. But his goodness is also seen in that provision of natural resources for us to discover and to develop. He created the world to be, a, to be fruitful in a place where humanity can delight in the wonders he made in the material world. Jonathan Edwards in his book, The End for Which God Created the World, says this, the material universe is an explosion of God's glory, a purposeful detonation outward as perfect goodness, beauty, and love radiate from God and draw creatures to ever increasingly share in the Godhead's joy and delight. There's an economy of words for, for all that, all the emotions that we feel when we see the beauty of the world, when we, when we find satisfaction in the work that we do, when we develop technologies which make work easier or more productive. God is delighted when we learn of what He has put in the world as it shows more of His creativity, His power, His diversity. God created Adam and Eve to be stewards of his glorious world. They were sinless and yet incomplete. God intended them to reach a greater glory, to fill the earth and to subdue it. They were God's masterpiece, but like creation, they were a work in progress. As we see uh, here pre-fall, the anticipation of what's going to happen. What, what great things will that mean to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over it? God created humans to discover patterns in creation, to develop new technologies through discovery. And God is praised by man's discovery, for it reveals more of all that He has made and how it works, how it fits together as we as we discover and learn. He's created design and pattern 
to be learned and implemented for fruitfulness. Book of Isaiah, we re- there's various passages we just read over without thinking about it. How did we learn to cultivate plants? How did we learn to work the earth? Well, in Isaiah 28, we read, God told us. <laughs> Isaiah 28, verse uh, 20, 23 to 26, he's talking about how the, the, the farmer sows and how he scatters seed. How did he learn all of this? He learned it, for he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. Verse 26, God teaches us as we observe our nature, we learn of patterns. Verse 29, all of this, all of his, his learning to allow the land to, to lay fallow and so forth uh, every so often so the ground can be replenished, this comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So technology in use of the land comes from the Lord. He wants us to learn that and to be fruitful. Then in uh, later chapters, uh, later chapter, Isaiah 54, where do, the, where do the technologists come from? Those who are creating uh, uh, the, the metal prod, uh, products that we'd use. We'd maybe think more of software and hardware and things like that. That too is from the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 54, 16 says, Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the fire of coals and produces technologies. The blacksmith was the technologist of the age, using the the resources that he found and and, and making it into something productive. Who made them? God did. And he he also oversees them. We're not going to look at that this morning, but he also declares uh, uh, where they will have success and where the people uh, will be protected from their abuses, his people. Technology is something that's been a part of our story since the beginning by God's design. Well, what is technology? Let's give a definition. Uh, Tony Rinke in his book on techno- God, the Christian life in technology says this, technology is applied science and amplified power. It's applied science and amplified power. It intensifies our dexterity, augments our influence, and empowers our previously feeble intentions. You get away from Genesis and you have to start using bigger words, <laughs> right? The Genesis is so simple. Here he's talking about augmentation and, and how we, we have things that help us do more work, be more productive, be more fruitful in keeping this command. That is what it's for. In obedience to God's, it's obedience to God's call to subdue the earth. We often have a negative view of technology because of how it's used today. We think of the negative ways that we see it being used, how the smartphone is making us dumb, and we hear all these books and and articles about this and that and the other thing, and how movies are being binged, uh, people don't leave their home for six, eight, ten hours uh, uh, at a time because they're watching movies, and and we think of all of the negative ways that technology has been, been used, but that has often more to do with the heart than it is with the technologies themselves, where they do bring us. Uh, great blessing. We need to consider God's word in Genesis that he had in mind technology, discovery, and development. One has said this, technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. Well, that pretty much leaves it open for us. Technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. It, 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 it's not necessarily good. It can be used for ill. 
But it's not necessarily bad. It can, there's technology that can be used for, for good. So it's not neutral. Everyone who's, who's working with technology has a certain bias, a certain, certain set of assumptions, presuppositions, uh, and they come to it with, with a desire to find and discover to use it to different ends. They're not neutral in their coming to it. They, they either want to use it uh, in a God-glorifying way or in a God-defying way, as we'll see a bit later. God sa- the Word says, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no neutrality in these, in these things. Sin's entrance into the world requires that we reflect on our technological advancement because there is now an ability to use technology for ills not unerringly good, yet it doesn't mean we shouldn't promote technological development and discovery. Before the fall, God intended Adam and Eve to discover, to expand forth from the garden uh, using the resources that he created in the material world. When Adam and Eve discovered in the garden all of God's resources, they also saw the plants that they were to cultivate and they saw the tree. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the tree this morning. We're not there yet. We're pre-fall, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they took of that tree and cultivated or partook of a fruit that they were told not to partake of, it was then that they made a conscious choice. They had a desire to do that which was against God's command. And it was there, and it is there, that we need to think for a moment How is technology used? Is it for God or is it against Him? Is it in obedience to God or is it in disobedience to defy Him? How do we cultivate? How do we develop? We must not miss the fact that we're called to subdue the earth, but we're to do it in keeping with God's commands, not to stand over against Him. Adam was told that he would cultivate the ground even after the fall. That did not change. We will for a moment slip into Genesis chapter 3 where God speaks to Adam and, uh, of, of the curse upon him, verses 17 uh, and 18. God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So technology was now going to work, and and, and discovery was going to be hampered by, even distorted by, sin. And it was going to come about only through hard work. And then he says this, By the sweat of your brow, the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." A couple of comments there. That what, what, what God is saying is this, th- this pursuit of the earth is something that I want for you. Now it's going to be, to be distorted by sin, but it will not deliver you from that curse that has been placed upon you, that it, namely death. We'll see in a few moments how, how, how technology has come to be this new, this new idol that perhaps we're going to... to uh, uh, live on beyond uh, what we've known uh, in, in recent years, and perhaps we can even, even defeat death is the hope there. But work is not a curse. Even after the fall, it's there. We're to be working in the world, though sin has introduced weariness and frustration 
and rebelliousness in using and uses of technology. So that's first the, the first point this morning, good word, uh, putting in a good word for technology. Secondly, the history and development of technology. The history and development of technology. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel was keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. Cain's attitude was, if we had to summarize it in in interest of time, me first. Uh, This is about me. And Abel brought to the Lord his, his first fruits. He knew that his life was in the hands of the Lord and God had, uh, had first place in his mind. Cain's anger against the Lord because he had himself in mind. Cain's anger against the Lord led him to murder his brother Abel. And God declared that Cain was under judgment. He was cursed from the ground. Verse 11, chapter 4. Though the Lord did not destroy him. And Cain went away from the Lord. And what did he do? He built a city. There's technology for you. He built a city. And from his offspring came more development. We hear those colorful names of Jabel, the father of livestock technology. Jubal, father of music technology. And Tubal-Cain, the forger of bronze and iron. Technologist in metal. Cain's line was noted for their rejection of God, their fierce independence, the offspring declaring that they would determine who would uh, live or die, whether they raised a hand against them. Lamech said he would take revenge. Further rebellion against the Lord, separation from God. And we see in these two lines as they begin to diverge, the sons of God who come from Adam and ultimately uh, end up with Noah calling upon the name of the Lord, chapter 4, verse 26, and the sons of men, those from Cain, who end their line with a murderer, Lamech, end of chapter 4. And they start to diverge, and we see that disobedience taking place even in this area of subduing the earth and and how to view natural resources, how to look at creation. And Romans 1 tells us that those who reject the Lord worship the creation rather than the Creator who is forever to be praised. So you see, this can happen. This is a good thing. This is, this is there in the beginning. This is foundational. God wants us to develop and, and to, to uh, uh, use what we find in the earth, but to his glory. Cain's line, there were great technologists, but they were bent on independence, which led to their destruction. But their knowledge was not lost. It was preserved, and we know it, how it was preserved. It was preserved in an individual. His name was Noah. He had a, quite a technological feat in that he built an ark. It took 120 years to build this ark. Doing so in obedience to God's command. He took what he knew and used it for obedience to God and for deliverance from man by faith. He's there in Hebrews 11. Let me just read that for a moment. What the Bible says about, about Noah's motivation for his for his project, his technological project. It's by faith Noah built an ark, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. He did this in reverent fear that his household might be saved. He saw a call to obey the Lord for the saving of his family. Beyond the flood, what do we have? We have, once again, the earth filled with people And what happens as they start to 
fill the earth. Instead of spreading out and filling the earth, which is in keeping with God's command, fill the earth and subdue it, they all gather in one place and they build a tower. Technology. Taking the resources that they found and they rebelliously come together and declare that they would not spread over the face of the earth, but would make a name for themselves by building a tower, Genesis chapter 11. Not a tower for mere reputation, but a tower of independence. One author makes a rather interesting connection. In the building of the ark, Noah used tar, which was the the technology of his day to make the ark watertight. And a similar word is used in the Tower of Babel. They used bitumen or pitch or tar to hold together the blocks of the tower. Remembering what had happened in the days of Noah, and it's, he said this, it's almost as if they were saying in the building of their tower, try to wash us away, our tower is waterproof. You see, we can use our technology either to show our dependence upon the Lord and our faith in him, or we can use it to stand against him and to shake our fist at him. We see technology used in faith in Noah, and we see technology used in rebellion in the Tower of Babel, which begs the question, how can technology be used? What are the limits placed upon that? That's a question for for another sermon. I just want to look at the history and development of technology uh, in this point. And thirdly, that does set up, however, the question of what is the motivator, what is driving behind, what is behind this, this way of looking at the world. Well, there's, there's, there's a gospel, there's a, there's a religious system here, and I've entitled this third point, the gospel of technology versus the gospel of Jesus Christ. What has happened in our advancement in technology is that A belief system has formed around it. We've seen such tremendous advances. We've talked about that in past sermons, scientific advancement, particularly in the late 19th century. And what has accompanied that advancement is a greater and greater independence, man thinking he can do it himself, and a greater rejection of God. Humanity is always looking for another God to give what it wants. And technology has become a welcome diversion, another belief system for us to consider rather than to think upon our limitations, our end, and the call to submit to the Lord. In the fall, God proclaimed that Adam must still work the ground in obedience to him, but it would not easily yield a crop. This would now only come through sweat and toil. And it would never bring about deliverance from death. As I read there in those verses in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, you will return to the dust. Nothing that you discover, develop, will remove that curse. You cannot deliver yourself from the dust. One author stated, said this, God coded every technological possibility into the created order. So he's, so he's, all that we can develop is in the material world as God has given it. But God has also coded in us the desire for transcendence. That the, the, the scripture writer says it this way, God placed eternity in the hearts of man. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He's placed eternity in our hearts. We want to transcend this, this limited 
and finite existence. And this world is never quite enough for us. The point he was making is that discontent, this desire for transcendence, is what drives us on. And of course, there are two places that we know to look, either to God or to the one who bears the image of God, man. And many today look to the one who bears the image of God and put their hope in man rather than in the Creator. Amazing discoveries lead to increasing pride. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 20, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why do I call that passage out? Because chariots and horses was the the military technology of that day, and people were trusting in that, saying, well, we don't have anything to fear. We're protected. We'll be defended. We have our horses and we have our chariots. But The psalmist says, but we as God's people trust in the Lord the maker of the heavens and the earth and the keeper of his people. Tony Rinke in his book states, humanity may become secular, but humanity is never unreligious. So humanity may try to look at the world apart from God, but they're never unreligious. They're going to worship something. And technology seeks to fill a spiritual void in us to make us feel secure. In all its hopes and grand aspirations, modern technology echoes the idolatry of the Tower of Babel, amplified a million times into that gospel of technology, into what I call the gospel of technology. And as I've noted, there are belief systems. The gospel of technology has its own story. It's an evolutionary background. It says we've come from uh, out of chance and we're, we're, we're just evolving and we're continuing to evolve and self-improve and we're self-creating and we're going to be doing this for millions and millions of years. That's the, that's the worldview of those who are apart from God. It's part of the belief system. The belief system in, in that, uh, with that group is that the human is a godless, soulless being of chance, and we must look to science to deliver us from nature's uh, power of death. So hope is in technology. So they have a belief system. That's their, that's their system. And then they, have the, then they have the priests who are communicating uh, to them what it is they need. They need technology. They need to support technology and technologists, for that is where their hope is. That's, so their faith is put there, and then their hope of deliverance is in that technology. In this belief system, identity is not limited by creational givens, but by medical limitations. That's what they're thinking, medical limitations. And we must, therefore, press on in medical and biological technology to catch up with our mental aspirations. Whatever we want for ourselves, that's what we press for in our daily lives. We pour our money and our time. Indeed, we pour our whole lives into technology, which seems our best hope for deliverance from our disappointments in our present existence. We want to get beyond our limitations. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God declares to us what has happened. God created the world good. He intended it to be discovered. He intended it to be developed. And man sinned. And that brought death 
And death cannot be defeated and sin cannot be eradicated by anything other than by repenting and going to God, finding in Him our life. Indeed, the broken relationship with God can only be restored through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only as we understand this story do we see the earth and nature as that which God has given for our good and not that which must be overcome. Something that, is a, something that we ought to just ignore and, 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 and obliterate, saying, well, we don't really know what it means to be human. We don't really know what it means to, to even live on earth. Maybe we should go uh, and, and uh, uh, live on Mars. Or we'd rather not live at all outside of our virtual reality that we find. Technology sometimes is nothing more than distraction. It's not a deliverance. It's just a, it's just a delightful distraction from the things of life that we find uh, difficult for us. But we are created to live in relationship with God in our bodies on the earth to discern design and pattern for true flourishing, to use what we discover and develop for the glory of God, for the good of our fellow man. The Lord wants us to fill the earth, and He has plans to renew the earth, to renew all creation in the coming of His Son. And we will continue to discover and delight in His glorious world and marvel at His glory, which is above the heavens. That is what the, that's what the psalmist says. Lord's glory is set. You have set your glory above the heavens. God, God, is not within, God is not one with creation. He's above creation. He is greater than. And therefore we worship the God who is above all of creation. He is the one whose greatness is inexpressible. To ponder Him is to ponder that which will take up an eternity for us as we learn more of him. Well, Noah and Emily, you have a great challenge before you, as do all of you here. Because we think about technology today and we think about how it affects families and how it affects homes and how it affects even communities. You have a responsibility to raise your daughter and your son to see God in the world around them. We have that responsibility for His divine nature, His eternal power is seen in the world. We get a sense of of His plan by seeing how how productive the earth is in spite of the fall, in spite of the brokenness. We see it in in families. We see it in in male-female creation and procreation, offspring. We don't simply turn to screens and microprocessors and journals to hear people pontificate about what they think the world should be or what they hope the world to be. God tells us His design and His pattern and His goal. We are to call our children to understand their relationship is to be with Him and with His people and with those around them to submit to His Word that we can know deliverance from sin's curse and sin's power. There, there alone do we find the answer to how one can be set free from death. 
and live eternally. In the New Testament, we read, God has given us eternal life. That life is in his Son. Left to ourselves, as God says to Adam, you're from the dust, you shall return to the dust. But there is a second Adam who has come, who has overcome death. The one who welcomes us and says, come, that you might know life in me, believe in me, turn from your wicked ways, turn from worshiping the creation and worship the creator who is forever praised, the one who has provided life and happiness and joy. That's what we want to teach to our children. We don't want them to be babysat with a screen or taught a worldview that says they're just, they have no purpose, they have no design, they can just do and be whatever their expressions give to them at any given moment. No, indeed, we recognize that God has given pattern, design. He's called us to see that in his world calls us to subdue the earth as we do that in faith. Our praise of God will grow and will become more and more of who he wants us to be. And that is those who are in relationship to him, who know the way of life, and who will find pleasures eternally at his right hand. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for all of the information wrapped up just here at the very beginning of your word and then sprinkled throughout the scriptures. That idea of subduing the earth and seeing that you have given us the technologies, that you have taught them to us, that there is more discovery to be had in this world and yet there is also the potential that this discovery would lead us to turn away from you. Oh Lord, help us to discover and to to develop this world, to teach our children, to encourage them in that discovery, in that uh, in the pursuit of, of knowledge, and, and turn it to your praise, or to offer it up to you as a sacrifice, even as we want to give ourselves as living sacrifices to you in all that we do, in all the pursuits that we have. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, that which no technology could offer, you have offered in your Son. And as we believe in him, we might have life forevermore to rejoice in you, to delight in your world. May that give us eyes to see this world in a new way. That even now, the beauty that is before us is a gift from you. Receive our thanks through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.